powerful gifts on planet Earth. Creativity is designed as the ability to transcend traditional ideas, rules, patterns, or relationships, to create meaningful new ideas, forms, methods, and interpretations, originality, progressiveness, or imagination. Imagine that. As I sit looking out my window at home, I can see trees with at least 10 different colors of green. Imagine that. I walked along the Puget Sound beach on vacation and saw stones, smooth stones, too numerous to count, and they were all different. Imagine that. I sat at the beach of the Pacific Ocean watching waves come in. They were all unique. They were different in shapes and speed. Imagine that. Those of you who have snorkeled or scuba dived have seen unbelievably rich and varied forms of sea life and fish and plants. Imagine that. You can travel the Amazon jungle or Papua New Guinea and you see species of animals, insects, and plants never seen before. Imagine that. Go, go to an airport, a mall, a downtown city street, or a Green Bay Packer game. Try to find two faces alike. Just two. Try to find two faces alike. Two bodies alike, or two people that walk exactly the same. There's an infinite variety of people inside and out. Imagine that. Imagine that. That's what God did. He imagined that. Then, he created that. He created that with just his words. Imagine that. Last Sunday, we began a series on Genesis. This is us, the, the beginning. And as we study Genesis, the creation, let us remind us, I want to remind us all, that although we can and we should try to learn the what and the how questions, what happened and how did the beginning of creation happen? Genesis is about who created and why he created. It's about the who and the why. Last Sunday, just a quick review. What did we learn about God last week? Number one, God is the center of the universe. I am not. Genesis is God-centered. Number two, God started it all. In the beginning, God. Number three, what God speaks happens. He imagined, he spoke, and... It happened. Number four, God has established a plan and a purpose, and Genesis reveals that plan and purpose. Number five, we are accountable to God for his revelation. How do we respond to what he teaches us? And number six, what God does is good, is good. So God imagined, God spoke, God created, and it was all good. Today we're going to talk about God's creation of people, of people, human beings and, and human life. Every part of creation is very significant, but the, but the focus, the apex, the high point of creation was the creation of people. And I don't just say that because I am one of people, but because God says so. God says so. And I'd like you to turn with me as we look at a text. Genesis 1. It's on page 1 of the Bible in the rack in front of you. Very beginning part of Genesis. We're going to read 1, 26 through 30, and then a couple parts out of chapter 2. 26 through 
26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When God had made the earth and the heavens and and no shrub of the field had yet appeared in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And a man, the man became a living being. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the, in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now we look at this text. The text uses the word man in two different ways. If man is used with an article, the man, it refers to a man singular, or in this case it refers to the man, Adam. When the word man appears without the article, when it says God created man, it means mankind, men, women, and children, or humans, okay? There's the man, and then there's man, which is people. Now, in the opinion of some, God made the man first and then made woman as the afterthought. Others say God looked at man he created and said, I think I can do much better, and he made woman. <laughs> Scholars seem to be evenly divided um, between this these things, usually on gender lines, but we won't, we won't get into that. But whatever opinion you hold, man or mankind or people were the apex of God's creation. It was the crowning point. It was the top of God's imagination. Imagine that. Imagine that. So what kind of being did God create? What does it tell us about man? Number one, people were created from dust. People were created from dust. An earthly being, an earthly being. 2.7 says, God formed man, Adam, from the dust of the ground. Now, the word, Hebrew word Adam means man, which comes from the root word Adama for ground, dirt, or more sensitively called earth. I'd rather say we're created from earth than, than dirt, but that's, that's just me, okay? So God made people from the earth to be here on the earth, and we are, we're dusty. We're dusty. The two words used to describe man, Adam and dust, emphasize people's relationship to the land. We were created from the land, 
Our job was to cultivate the land, and at death we returned to it. You've heard at burial ceremonies, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. That's where we all go. We're not aliens made of alien materials or an alien culture. We are part and parcel of the earth and always will be. Now, if you underemphasize man's dustness, it would be to divorce us from our God-ordained environment. And if we overemphasize our dustness, we miss the fact that in addition to being an earth creature, we are also spiritual, which we'll talk about in just a couple of minutes. Coder and Howe wrote in their book, The Bible, Science, and Creation, that they took time to calculate the human body is composed of about 58 pounds of oxygen, 2 ounces of salt, 50 quarts of water, 3 pounds of calcium, 24 pounds of carbon, some chlorine, phosphorus, fat, iron, sulfur, and glycerin. And they say it's one thing to make a pile of all these common elements, but it's another thing to make a man out of them. The big question is, how did we get from this pile of dust to the complex and wonderful creature called mankind? It says God formed. God formed, or he shaped man from the dust. And the image we have is like a potter forming clay. Now, whether it's a potter's wheel or just those of you that have done pottery know what I'm talking about. A potter shaping clay. The word formed implies an artistic and inventive activity that requires skill and planning. So he had, he had, he had to plan this out. Planned. That this, this creature was planned. This was intentional. It was creative work. And you know what? We're all different. We are all different. Imagine that. God would have to be creative to make each of us pots look different. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got a nice pot there. Go ahead. <laughs> we are earthly creatures. If you think about your childhood, and some of you carry this into adulthood, but in, enjoying connecting with nature, whether it's loving mud puddles or playing in the rain or dancing, if you dance in the rain, getting dirty and muddy, climbing trees, wading in creeks, swimming in lakes, laying on the grass, looking up at cloud formations, or laying out under the stars at night looking at the stars. Rolling down hills, one of the most delightful things we saw on our vacation, there were, where we were staying, there were some grass-covered hills, and kids by the dozens were rolling down the hill. It was like, I remember when I did that. Okay, do you remember when you did that? Maybe it's climbing hills or hiking or climbing cliffs, skiing down snow-covered slopes or camping out, playing with dogs or cats or other animals, riding horses, chasing piglets in a barnyard. I did that once as a kid. Now, these are all things I'm too busy and grown up to do at this point in time. But we are men and women of the earth. And God created us this way. God created us this way. It's good. And then Jesus became one of us, the creator, joining his creation as the God-man, the Son of Man, Dusty. Dusty himself. So people were created from the dust. Awesome. Secondly, people were created in the image of God. People were created in the image of God. A spiritual being. A spiritual being. In 126, then God said, let us make man in our image in our likeness. Imagine that. The image of God. The image of God. 
This passage has been used as evidence of the Trinity when it says, let us. We believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because it's a, a, a plural word, uh, they were all present at creation. But the primary emphasis here is not the Trinity. There are a lot, of, a lot of references to the Trinity throughout the Bible. The fact is that all three were present at creation. But the main point, it was God who made people, and God made people in his image, in his likeness, with his imprint. What does that mean? And why is that important? Why is that important? First, it demonstrates the fact that people are unique. People are unique. By unique, I mean that we are distinct from the rest of creation. We are different than the animals. Now, there are people in organizations like ELF, Earth Liberation Front, ALF, Animal Liberation Front, PETA, and other ones who believe that animals are as valuable as humans. And they have advocated, agitated, demonstrated, even committed crimes of arson against research centers who use live animals. Why do they do that? Because they believe animals are just as valuable as human beings. That said, we are commanded in the Bible to treat animals humanely. But why do they put humans and animals on the same value plane? It's because of the theory of evolution that has permeated every educational institution for the last 70 years teaches that people are just a higher order of animal. It's a higher evolved being. In other words, you are just a higher developed pond scum. You like that? You're just a higher developed pond scum. One huge argument against evolution is that humans are the only species on earth that will allow their offspring, once grown, to return to live at home. <laughs> Saying that to parents. Eh, never mind. Never mind. We'll do that. Seriously. ALF, ELF, PETA only look at the material universe. And God says no. It says people are unique and have been from the very beginning. People have intellect. They have reasoning powers. The word image refers to mental and spiritual faculties that people share with their creator, with, with God. The image of God resides in people's ability to reason, our personality, our free will, self-consciousness, or our intelligence. Our ability to relate spiritually. We are spiritual beings because we have the image of God. So we are unique. We are spiritual beings. We have souls. We will live forever. We are God-like. We're not God, but we're God-like. And our culture has rejected God in the special place people have in creation. And they've replaced it with something called humanism. Humanism will say, we're not special. Nothing special about you. Nothing special. Humanism says we're the center of the universe and we will make ourselves important. Therefore, we have this endless search for significance. And a natural outgrowth of humanism is the self-esteem movement. We tell our children they're purely material. They're animals higher in the evolutionary cycle. Their accidents are products of random chance. Then we wonder why they feel so bad about themselves and they have no purpose, no direction. So we invented the self-esteem movement. One article talks about the self-esteem movement in public schools. It says the self-esteem movement, in fact, is a social force of some strength, particularly in our schools. 
One journalist and author conducted interviews at 20 education schools around the country and was startled to find that self-esteem is the dominant educational theory almost everywhere she went. The dominant educational theory. She was of the opinion the rising emphasis on feelings came at the expense of subject matter, therefore was a very ominous development. So when our kids graduate from school, they don't know history and they can't read or write, but they feel good about it. Or they feel good about themselves. So what's wrong with the self-esteem programs other than that they don't work? They're based on humanism. Humanism. I'm just a later model of that doggy in the window. And we make sure that he is a happy animal that feels good about himself. Mankind, the center of the universe. People are animals of a higher evolution. Then we wonder why our kids need work on their self-esteem. When we deny the uniqueness of people made special by God, we reduce them to a mass of biological cells. That's all we are. You can know you are unique and you are special in God's eyes, in reality. You are the apex of God's creation, different than animals. That's the beginning of self-esteem. We are unique because God made us that way, because we are created in the image of God. Secondly, people, letter B, people can relate to God. People can relate to God. Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. People were created to have a personal relationship with their creator, God. Only man, only humans, received the breath of God directly, and it says that he became a living soul. The Hebrew word for being is nepes, the Greek equivalent is psyche. And the word is linked to the word for neck, or throat. And the idea behind that is desire or appetite or hunger or longing, as in, as in Psalm 42, 1 that says, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. I desire God. Stuart Briscoe writes, all the living creatures of the created order live only because of him. But man was created in such a way that his being or psyche would long deeply for fulfillment and satisfaction. And the creation account shows clearly that the fulfillment would only come from the breath of life. The philosopher Pascal put it another way. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in each human being that can be filled only with God himself. We were created with a hunger for a relationship our creator and men and women try to fill that vacuum with a lot of things but nothing fits nothing fills only God can fill that longing we were created that way from the beginning to relate to God when it says breathed into his nostrils it gives us the image of the closest possible contact showing not only man's dependence on God but also showing God's desire for a relationship this pursuing God that created us and desires relationship with us. Do you have that picture? We're a natural being. We're a spiritual being, formed by God's hand into God's image, breathed into by God, becoming a living being. And our meaning can only be found in relationship with God. 
Many of you know that. And it's awesome. If you don't, don't leave today without praying for that relationship. The image of God has one other connotation. Letter C. People have dominion over creation. People have dominion over creation. Under God, man is Lord of the earth. We read verse 28 through 30 of chapter 1. It says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature on the ground. And he talks about the dominion that he has over them. God gave mankind or man or people a very responsible position. And man's dominion over the rest of creation is demonstrated by the fact that he assigned names to all the animals. I, I bet that was fun. I'd have loved to have been there. Can you imagine? That one looks like a... Yeah, you can, you, can, you can just fill in the blank. Think about all the creative things that you could do. It says, whatever man, the man called each living creature, that was its name. Humankind stands under God above creation in order to direct it as God desires. Very responsible. We have privileges and responsibilities as dominion over creation. So people were created from dust. People were created in the image of God. Imagine that. And number three, people were created to work. Work, where does it say that? He wants us to be a productive being. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, I always thought that work came because man sinned and then you had to pull weeds. You know, and then there are mosquitoes and bugs and all that stuff. No, that... Man was created to work, even before the fall, even before that. See, even paradise was not a life of leisure and unemployment. God doesn't just shuffle off his workload to man. Work is intrinsic to human life. Work is intrinsic to human life. God made us to work, to be productive, to be busy, to be active, to accomplish something. Idleness can be a huge curse. How do we lead productive, useful lives? By discovering God's plans and God gifts things given to us. Finding out what is it that we were created to be and what is it we were created to do. It's a lifetime, it's a lifetime job for some of us to discover. Martin Luther was a great believer in the, what he called the spirituality of good hard work. The challenge, of course, is finding work you enjoy. And when you do enjoy it, we got the other extreme of workaholism. And we work all the time because we love it so much. There was a cartoon in the newspaper that showed a woman at a cosmetics counter asking the, asking the person, said, said, my husband is a workaholic. Do you have any perfume that smells like a desk? <laughs> anyway, just a little joke. Okay, very little. Number four, people were created to choose. People were created to choose. We are beings of free will. Beings of free will. 16 and 17 says, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, we could spend a lot of time dissecting the meaning this morning. We don't have time to do that. But basically, fundamentally, God established right and wrong. Right and wrong. He says you'll have the knowledge of right and wrong. This has to do with morality. Morality and we have a choice. We have a choice. Now, what made it right and what made it 
wrong? What made it right and what made it wrong? That's the question. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was made special because God said so. God said so. What God speaks happens. What God speaks is so. So we find that letter A, God decides right and wrong. God decides right and wrong. What God spoke was law. Now, he could have pointed to a stone and he said, don't move that. He could have pointed to the brook and said, don't jump across that. He declared right and wrong. Now, when our kids are small, we lived in Lakewood, Washington. Brittany and Brianna liked riding bikes. Now, we, we, and we lived on a corner of a street. And the, in front of our house, the street was just a little bit busier. It wasn't real busy, but it was busier. The side street, there was hardly any traffic at all. So we said, if you're going to ride bike, we want you to ride on this street, not this street. I said, for the safety reasons, you can't ride their bike on that street. You can ride on this street. Now, what made one street right and one street wrong? I said so. Okay? I, I was the law. Okay? Now, they turned teenagers and that went out the window. But I was the law at that point. Okay? I said so. What makes the speed limit 45 miles per hour on a side street, 70 miles per hour on the freeway? The law said so. When it comes to morality, right and wrong, God alone determines what is right and what is wrong. Right is doing God's will. Wrong is going against God's will. What makes stealing wrong? What if I want your car more than you do? Can I take it? No. God says stealing is wrong. What makes extramarital sex or premarital sex wrong? People will say we're consenting adults. It feels good. We love each other. No, God says it is wrong. What makes coveting wrong? God says so. What makes pride wrong? I like to feel good about me. What makes pride wrong? God says so. Who says marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life? God says so. See, God created all, and so God gets to make the rules. We, we spent about 13 weeks or 14 weeks in, in God's top 10, the Ten Commandments, understanding that God gave those guidelines because he knows how best that we relate to God and how we best relate to human beings. And so he gives these guidelines called the Ten Commandments so that we can understand that. Does he make the rules to make us miserable? <laughs> Sometimes we think so. No. He makes the rules because he, as the creator, knows how best his creation functions. Now, how do we know right from wrong? God told us. God told us. God has spoken to us. It's all recorded in the God's word, the Bible. The Bible. Now, there are people here that have questions about the Bible. That's okay. We believe as a church and we practice that the Bible is God's authority for faith and practice, and we believe it's inerrant in its original autographs, and it is true in all that it, it presents and, and standard for faith and practice. And so we follow it. So how do we know it right from wrong? God told us. It's recorded in the world. If it's, word, if it's in the Bible, it's not a matter of opinion. If it's in the Bible, it's not a matter of a public opinion poll. If it's in the Bible, it's not a matter of a referendum or a vote. If it's in the Bible, it's not a matter of feelings. If it's in the Bible, it's not even a matter of personal conscience. God spoke it. 
Imagine that. Imagine that. God decides right and wrong. Letter B, people choose to obey or disobey. People choose to obey or disobey. Now, a lot of people today in America are talking about the word choice. Choice. Choice is a big thing. And we do have choices. We choose. We can choose God's way, life abundant and fuller. We can choose our own way and suffer the consequences of devastation, destruction, pain, and suffering. God made human beings with a free will. We, we choose. As we go through Genesis, we're going to see how Adam and Eve, the very first humans, how they chose. They made some wrong choices with disastrous results, but the God who started it all, the God of creation, the God of unconditional love and grace, reaches down to his rebellious creation to turn it around for good. Imagine that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God that had a plan. We don't always understand it, but God, we thank you for that plan. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, as we continue in this, in this uh, time in Genesis, that we will learn and begin to understand in just a small way who you are, what you've done, and why. And I just pray, Lord, that every person here would embrace the fact that, yes, we are earthly, but we are created in the image of God and that we have that opportunity to relate to you personally. And that's what you desire above all things, to relate to us personally, to know us and to be known by us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?